35 years ago, two announcers of the Rose Bowl were terminated for a mistake they had made. While they were relaxing during one of the advertising breaks, they were talking together and using very profane language. What they did not know is that the microphones were open and their language went throughout the network. When the executives explained why they had terminated these announcers, they said that profanity is to be kept a private matter and it should not be on the public airwaves. Well, that was 35 years ago. Today it seems we are not as concerned about profaning the name of the Lord. In fact, the first petition of the Lord's Prayer is rather irrelevant. No one seems to monitor the airwaves to be certain that God's name is hallowed, held in honor and respect and reverence. America no longer seeks to fulfill this petition that Jesus taught us. But Jesus felt it was so important that he made it the number one consideration as he taught us about prayer. This is how you begin. After addressing the Heavenly Father, you pray first of all, hallowed be thy name. Let us try to translate that into a little bit more understandable English. The word hallow isn't used very much anymore. The most famous man that used it in recent years was Abraham Lincoln. You remember what he said at Gettysburg. We cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground, he said. And he went on to explain that the reason for that was that men had sacrificially given their life blood on that sacred ground. Nothing they could do, nothing they could add or subtract. Because history was history. Therefore, that place is hallowed. This gives us some idea of hallowing the name of God. For nothing we can subtract or add is going to make any difference. He is hallowed, and we must respect this. And the petition that Jesus taught us to pray states exactly that. Would that all men everywhere would recognize the reality of the being and the person of God, and then give him due respect and honor, glorify him for who he is and what he has done. Hallowed be thy name. 
Why not hallowed be you, O Father, whom we have just addressed? Why does he use that phrase, thy name? Well, it wasn't strange to the people who were listening to him. They were aware that the name of someone held great meaning for that person. What's more, they were very aware of the meaning of the name of God. From old times, Jeremiah quoted God as saying, I have sworn by my great name. And if you read about the beginnings of the temple in Samuel, you read that the temple was built to the name of God. Now we know it was built for the honor of God, not just for a name. We also discover in Exodus 23 that the angel had within him the name of God as he led the people into the land of milk and honey. It wasn't just a name, it was more than that. The people understood from the days of Moses as recorded in Exodus 6 where God said, by my name, I did not make myself known to them. And he goes on to explain that the only name he had given them was a name for power. Now he said, I'm going to tell them who I really am. All they have known is that name. Now listen to this name. And he gave the name Jehovah, which unveiled and revealed his intent to save his people to be a gracious and a merciful God. His name to him was self-identifying, descriptive. Remember when Jesus was born, the angel came and said, give him a name, Jesus. Significant, meaning Savior. Later on, they called him Christ, which in Hebrew is Messiah, anointed one. The prophet, the priest of God, come to be among us to fulfill all those Old Testament prophecies. The name was so significant. So when we say, hallowed be thy name, what we are saying is we want to reverence you for who you are and for what you have done. That is the first priority, says Jesus, when you begin to pray. It speaks to every one of us who stand in awe of the deep mystery of God. The one who was before anything came to be. The one who is the standard of all truth and wisdom. The one who fashioned the things that are in such a way that we need to think in accordance with his thoughts in order to know. The one who within his person is a standard for conduct and therefore prescribes the ethics and morality of human beings. That God is all who ought to be praised by all. Within his grasp is the power of all things. 
We call it theism, putting God in the center. And that's where Jesus started his prayer. When you pray, he said, this is the way. If you want to be a praying person, you start with God. Now, this is not just a view of God, but it is a relationship with him. This awe-inspiring, mysterious, divine being becomes for us now our Heavenly Father, and we pray that his name, his very person, will be held in reverence by everyone. And so as we pray, we work. You don't pray for something unless you're interested in it. You want to make it happen. How do you bring reverence to God's name? How will you spread this if you're going to take this prayer on your lips? The first thing we do is we will glorify God. We'll give him the honor for being who he is. Westminster Shorter Catechism explains it in its first answer when it says the whole purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So Paul said to Roman, the, the people of Rome when he wrote in Romans 11, from him, through him, and to him are all things, to him be the glory forever. And he instructed the people of Corinth, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Jesus says your motive then is touched. And what you really want if you're going to be a praying person is that God is recognized for who he is and you'll stand in awe of him. But something also happens to you and to me as we pray this prayer, if this prayer were ever to be fulfilled. What would happen to us is that we would find changes going on within us. Did you ever look at the Lord's Prayer and wonder why there isn't a petition there about your spiritual growth, about my Christian maturity? Paul prays for this repeatedly. He wants to grow. He wants Christians to grow. Why didn't Jesus give us a model prayer that says in some way, and Lord, help us to grow and mature in our Christian faith? But he doesn't say that. What he says is, begin the prayer, hallowed be thy name. And if you pray that prayer, work for the fulfillment of that prayer, then you will grow spiritually. You will not be able to help yourself. For the kingdom of God will come within you as a serendipity. Unexpectedly, it will engage itself within your heart and you'll find yourself changing, growing, expanding your horizons of faith. Because God is within. What you're working for is his honor. 
not for yourself. Today, we are so man-centered and humanistic in building our faith. We think of all the things that we must do to become stronger in our faith. This petition of Jesus gets at that very matter, but not in the way we do. There are no techniques in the life of Jesus. How naturally he went about his life and served, handled things that we want to handle like stress and worry and so on, not intentionally giving a formula because what he was essentially there to do was to honor his father. And all these other things came. We Christians need to begin where he began. And the chief end of man is not some formula of directing our life. The chief end of man is not to grow spiritually. The chief end of man is to honor God. And once we understand that and put him in the center of our thoughts and lives, other things are bound to change. In fact, you will not grow spiritually unless you learn to honor God first. Oh, you may dabble at the edges of good morality and good ethics. There are many good people in the world. We admire them, but they're not religious people. They go about doing the things that are right and proper in society they enhance the good of mankind. They'll even leave this world a better place than they found it. But they're not religious. God is not in their life thereby. Remind us of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. He'd been struggling with a problem of, of the kingdom. How could he get into the kingdom? And Jesus said, well, have what have you done? He said, well, I've done everything the law says. I've been a good young man. And Jesus said, well, then go and sell what you have and, and come and follow me. Knowing full well that although this young man had meticulously obeyed the law, what he was really seeking was not anything that honored God, but something that would satisfy himself. And when he had to trade off his material God, he wouldn't do it. It was too costly. He could never have prayed this prayer. For in the the true sense of the word, he was a profane individual who was not accountable to God and who had any idea in his life of hallowing the name of God. What he wanted to do was solve his problems and be sure of eternity. Jesus lays the axe to the root of that tree in this first petition. 
when he tells us, if you're going to be praying people, which is tantamount to saying, if you're going to do what I'm doing and follow me, if you're going to be a Christian, you must start with a wish and a prayer that God will be honored first of all. If you don't start there, all these other petitions for daily bread and all that follows is going to be quite hollow in its reign. And so we ask the question, if we really mean this, what will happen if we succeed? Let's look at a couple of things. First of all, we're going to want to listen to him. If you want to honor someone, you want to familiarize yourself with that person, what he's done, what his interests are, where he is. And so you go to the source that will inform you. And it's in the book. You take your Bible in hand and you read it. And you want to know what it says because you don't want to do things that are going to be distracting from the main emphasis of life. And it gets to be fascinating reading because there's a motivation, a purpose, there's a focus for what you're doing. And you want others to know about this as well. God will never be held in reverence in this world unless people know about him. How will they know, says the prophet, unless someone goes to tell them? And who's going to tell them unless they're sent with a message? Here's the message. You want your children to know about it. They'll never know what life really is about, where Jesus' priority was, unless they begin where he began. So if you want the secret of Jesus, ponder this particular petition. Hallowed be thy name, God comes first. Secondly, it's going to affect our religious practices. Why do we go to church? As I prepare sermons, I sometimes think people come here to get their problems solved. Their problems solved. The emphasis is on us. Church growth institutions tell us that if you want your church to grow, find a need and fill it. It's a good business prescription. Why wouldn't it work in the church? And I think it does. But is that really why we come here? Jesus says, that's not why I go to the synagogue. I go there to meet with God. And the church ought to fashion her ministries around the presence of God, bringing people to meet God, first of all, not to solve a problem. Oh, that'll happen. As sure as you meet God, you'll solve your problems. But if that's the motivating factor and that's the key, then we have trouble praying this prayer. 
For we want God to respond to us when really what we ought to be doing is responding to him. Another thing that will happen is the world will change. We have many problems in this country with justice and injustice. We talk about it all the time. The problem seems to be that we are not certain of our responsibilities to each other. And so we condone things that would never stand up in the courts of God. If we really hallowed his name, there'd be some changes. Read Isaiah 52 sometime. It comes at the beginning of the chapter where Isaiah says, you know why certain people exploit other people? the weak and the foolish and the ignorant. You know why the brilliant and the powerful manipulate them? Because they are profane. They do not know the name of God. But people who know that name, when God's name is hallowed, they don't do those kind of things. They wouldn't consider treating people that way. The source of what is right and just in this world is anchored in that motivation of Praising God, glorifying him first of all. Now we could go on with many other examples. For example, take nature. This is my father's world, we sing. Of course it is. If you're going to honor God, you'll respect his world that he created, that he preserves, that he loves, for which he has a purpose. You wouldn't exploit it and drain it of its resources for negligible ends. And so you can go all through life. Jesus says, if you're going to pray, let's start at the beginning. Let's lay the platform for all the rest of our prayer life. Let us pray together. Hallowed be thy name. First of all, don't just slip it in at the beginning and then go on to those more important things of daily bread and, and forgiveness and so on. But up front, recognize your motivations. How glibly we profess to this petition when we pray. How many men, women of every walk of life, will join and say the Lord's Prayer. But how earnest we ought to become that this first petition really mean, hallowed be thy name. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your Son who teaches us how to pray, how to honor you, how to place you uppermost in our affections, in our attention. Thank you that in the wake of this petition, all other petitions follow. That if we seek your kingdom first, all the other things will be added. So we pray anew this morning, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.